Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the How's My Hand Path podcast. As always, this is Shaheen Akshavani, your host. Just wanted to talk a little bit about the next guests we have coming on this week. He goes by the name of Stephen Ames. A lot of you might know him from an extensive career on the PGA Tour, which we uh, dive into quite a bit of detail on, including some ups and downs he's had, his new caddy relationship. Um, we talk about his 2006 Players Championship. We talk about so many different things, among others, how our relationship started because Steven found me online and through social media, and I've been working with him on his golf swing for the last uh, seven, eight months, and it's been a pleasure. So this, uh, this podcast here meant a lot to me just for that reason. I really hope you guys enjoy it. It was a good one. And uh, here you go. How's the uh, how's the uh, self isolation going? What are you guys doing to keep busy? Um, well, we wake up every morning about nine. <laughs> wow. Kidding? Yeah, no, not that late. No, we've uh, about eleven, eleven thirty. We usually just have a good. We do about a forty minute, forty forty five minute workout. Um, I have, we have a friend here that had a Pilates reformer machine. Okay. So we converted one of the back bedrooms for Kelly. So that's now Kelly's studio. <laughs> so she's working out in there. And then nice. I've got band, I've got bands and I've got TRX here that I've been using every morning too. So I'm doing a lot of that as well. Nice. I was going to ask actually, because we've been getting a bunch of questions from our Instagram when we asked if people had any questions for you. One of the questions that I think came up like eight times is how are you guys keeping in shape during the, the whole situation? Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard without the machines or even the weights and stuff like that. So a lot of the exercises that I've been doing is body weight. So a lot of walking lunges. I think I do about a hundred a day and then I'm doing squats, everything. I mean, you can't, you, you can never overwork your legs. Yeah. Especially you can, for you guys as golfers. Exactly. For sure. Uh, my, I wouldn't say mine are the strongest ones, but, uh, <laughs> but it's something that I can improve on for sure. And uh, it's been good, actually, because it's kind of opened my mind up to certain things that I can work on, how to work it. And uh, that's actually been a little bit fun, kind of adventuring out a little bit. Okay, so I have a good question for you, then. Uh, what, like, uh, at what point during your golf career did you start to put more emphasis on working out? Ooh, 2004. That was easy. So that was right around when you got that first victory? We'll get into it that was. later. But um... Yeah, yeah I, I got into that because I started when the boys got – uh, a little bit bigger and they were traveling with us during the summer i started lifting them up and walking with them and playing with them a lot and i was noticing a lot of aches and pains in my lower back and in my upper back and i Shit. was like no i don't like this feeling <laughs> at all so i started working out so this was uh, i guess you were like just around 40 years old in that range yeah, i was 40 years old yeah Shit. And I, had, I hadn't done a lot i've done i did some things in the past but I didn't do an extensive amount. And I still don't do the extensive amount like Rory and Tiger and DJ do. But uh, I think that's overboard to some extent. And at, and at my age right now, it's just maintaining flexibility, which I've always had. And just keep, uh, maintaining some strength in my, in my body. Has your um, priorities in working out changed since you got to the Champions Tour? It's a, it's a necessity, for sure. More so um, than before, I would imagine? Um. Uh, I think it's something, yeah, before I can get away with it. Now it's like, no, I think I need to do this. It's, it's a daily routine now. I get up, I do some stretches. I do a little cardio before I go out and play. All those things are added. And then on my week, uh, during building up to the week, I'll do some weights. And then even more when I'm on my off weeks, uh, we have a gym that we use here in the island. And uh, it's a two-minute drive, and we'll be there every morning. We'll go for an hour, hour and a half working out. That's a decent sized workout. It's a good workout, yeah. But like I said, I'm not doing I'm not doing push ups, three hundred three hundred pound bench presses. Right. I'm just doing you know what I think is adequate, what it feels, and I feel a I feel a burn and I feel a tear the next morning, uh, the other the next day. So I know that I've done something that it's actually uh, helping. Are the uh, workout trailers in the Champions Tour just filled with people all week? You know what? To be honest, not really. There are a few regular guys that go in there. But the majority yeah. of the guys don't. No, they do not. That's a bit surprised. I thought there'd be more. But, I mean, they're, 
I'd say on the whole, the guys on the tour right now are definitely the earlier generation of when working out started. Okay. Like VJ was probably the first guy to really start. I mean, Tiger, obviously, but VJ yeah. was really the biggest one of all. And he is in our class bracket now, the age group. So you got guys like Bernard always did it. Uh, Lee Jensen does it. David Frost does it. The guys like Fuzzy Zeller, Craig Stadler, those kind of guys don't play anymore for a reason because they're not fit enough to play anymore. Right. So, I, so I think the generation of the player today that is on the Champions Tour have been over the course of their careers, have always been doing a little bit of workout but not extensive but enough to sustain their bodies where they don't hurt and still able to play golf. So you're just now starting to see like a full tour of people who are much more healthy than let's say 20 years ago or 10 years ago? Easily. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that's why the level of golf is so good, to be honest. Yeah, I wanted to ask, how much, how much difference have you noticed between the two tours in, in skill? Because I know that obviously the courses, I would imagine, are playing a little bit easier than what you were accustomed to beforehand. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say, yeah, the skill level is probably all the same. Without a doubt. I mean, what Bernard's doing today is, is unbelievable. I mean, then, of course, you got Ernie Hughes just popped out. Yeah. Finished playing three events, uh, finished second and one and winning the other one. It's like, okay, yeah, well, he's still got it. And he's a bad putter. Yeah. Is that the, the weakest part of his game? <laughs> that's the weakest part of his game. Now it is. But in his prime, it wasn't. It was one of his strongest. But now that's right. the weakest part of his game. The rest of his game is phenomenal. Still a great bunker player, great short game. Still drives the ball a long way and straight. So, I mean, find the putter, he has an advantage, which is typical of most of us, I guess. What's, tend the, to lose. what's, the, what's the reason John Daly still does so poorly despite hitting it so far? Oh, I don't want to get into that one. <laughs> okay, that's all right. No, that's all right. If you don't want to answer a question, by the way, that's totally fine. <laughs> I, think, I think maybe because he's still in Vegas. I don't know, partying. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, I, I, let's start uh, with when you were younger, dude. I want to know how you, how you got into the game. Did you have a family um, of golfers growing up? <clears throat> My grandmother played. She was a two-time Trinidad and Tobago champion. Wow. So she, was a de- she was a good player. Had a good golf swing, too. Um, I still remember it when I last played with her. I was 16 years old, I think, the last time I played with her. So that was a while ago. Shit. And uh, my, de- my grandfather on my, on my father's side, so his parents, played the game, his father and his mother. And uh, my dad obviously played it. He got down to, I think, his lowest he got to was like a seven. That's uh, pretty good, considering most golfers' parents I hear about are like 15, 20s. Yeah, no, he was a seven. Well, we lived, we were, we were fortunate. I was fortunate growing up. So he worked in Texaco uh, at the refinery when there mm-hmm. was one in Trinidad. And uh, he was uh, the chief engineer for the um, refinery. And we were senior in the sense of uh, seniority. And we were given a house to live in, which included, it was a country club lifestyle. We had tennis courts, we had squash courts, we had a swimming pool. It was country club. And we had a golf course. I wouldn't say it was the greatest golf course, but it was a golf course. For me, growing up, when I started the game at 12, it was Augusta. <laughs> right. And then, when, and then when you actually got to go see Augusta, you realize, oh, boy, how poor we really had it. And it was poor. It was very weak. Conditions were horrible. There was no chipping green, no putting green. You had to go to, like, one of the old hole, one of the holes that were there close to the house. And I'll chip and putt most of the day and then go play 18 holes in the afternoon. And that was me from 12 to 15. And by 15, I was a scratch doing it by myself. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. I mean, I was a scratch on that golf course. And I went up, when I went to play a different golf course, I was maybe uh, a two or three handicap. But I occasionally broke par on the other golf courses that I played on the island. So, so what, yeah. when did you uh, make the move outside of, of uh, the, play, the country to start taking golf more seriously? Well, that, that was easy. When I, when, I left, uh, when I left school in the States, I was at uh, Lynn University of Boca. Mm-hmm. Um, I went there, did business degree. I left there after three and a half years, came home. And then I started working with my father. And it was like, okay, this is boring sitting behind a desk. So I tried, he had a mechanical company 
maintenance company who did a lot of maintenance. So obviously the two levels of the company was the bookkeeping part or the contracts part. And then there was on the floor working the labor part. So I did one year of each and I realized, no, this is not for me. I can't do this. You weren't down for it. Oh yeah. I wasn't down for this at all. No, I wanted to be free. I wanted to do something that I enjoyed doing, which was playing golf. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 87, we de I decided that, uh, no, I've had enough. I decided to pursue the golf. Literally packed my bags, clothes, golf clothes, out clothes, and uh, my golf bag. Left and went and started playing mini toy events in Texas. At what, at what year was this? 1987. Shit. Yeah. So did you, I, uh, did you have a lot of funding or are you just like, fuck it, I'm taking a chance? No, I had, my funding was my father. Right. I did 87, 88, 89, 1990. I got into the... Uh, Actually, it was four years. Uh, Web.com now, well, now Corn Ferry. Back then, it was the Hogan Tour. Mm -hmm. I did a year and a half on the Hogan Tour. <clears throat> and in 91, I won the ben, I won the Pensacola Open. I had a week. I had like a month where I never finished outside the top five. Wow. So you were, win. you were striping it. I was, no, I wasn't striping it. I was actually my weakest part of my game. It was my oh, chipping really? putting that was good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm striping it now. Let me tell you, compared to what was that back then. Wow. Yeah. Uh, no, it was horrible. Um, I just got it around and just focused on what I needed to get done. And I had a week where I had a month where I didn't finish outside of top five. And uh, I sat there and I wrote my father his $26,000 that I'd owed him and borrowed over those years. Paid him off, and I never looked back. I've been on my own ever since. <laughs> so um, my brother was doing some research, and he saw that you played on the European tour in 1992. Is that true? I started in 1993 was my first year on the European tour. Okay, 93? Yes. Yeah, 93 to the end of 96. 97, end of 97, actually. So what, uh, what was the reason to go to the Euro tour, and why, after five years, did you come back? Because you were playing so good, you got on the PGA? Uh, no, um, I guess this is Canadian listening. So I guess I can say this. I got, uh, you can say whatever <laughs> you want. Don't worry. No one yeah, takes know, any offense here. No, I get, I don't know. I don't want to offend, you know, who I'm going to talk about now. I got, uh, reprimanded by the U S government. Oh shit. They, they, um, put me in the characterization of defrauding the country, which I never did. It okay. was basically the, the border guys word over my word. And obviously they went with his word. So I basically lost my visa. So I was like, geez, what am I going to do now? So I looked at the European tour and uh, it, I was exempt all the way. I was exempt to the second stage, which I went to in Spain. El Scorpion was the name of the golf course. And uh, I went to, I got all the way through to the, and I got all the way through to the final stage and finished, um, geez, I think I finished third there. Yeah, I did. I finished third in the qualifying school. So, so that gave me my, that got my record. European tour card. Yeah, I did. Yeah. My first event I played in was Madeira Open. I took eight on a par three to finish eighth. Wow. I was one shot in the lead going up the last, up the last two holes. That was an experience. Oh my word. Wow. So first of all, what was the thought running through your mind after the tournament? Like, what the fuck did I just do? Yeah, pretty much. What happened there? And then all of a sudden it was like, geez, I got to get rid of this draw. It's killing me. <laughs> I feel like when I, first of all, when I saw you last year, you still very much had that draw. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It still hasn't changed after all these years. You know, that, that shot used to kill me. And it, 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 in the past, obviously, it's hurt me as well. But it's always something that I've fought. And I've been fighting, it, like I said, since then. So it was something that I've always pursued and tried to figure out how to get rid of it. So it's been a life pursuit, a life uh, venture for me trying to get rid of that little draw that I had in my bag. <laughs> was, um, so I guess that's what I wanted to talk about a bit. Like the weakest part of your game, you considered it your ball striking when you were uh, playing younger days? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was probably anywhere from 50 to 60% fairways hit. Um, to about the same with my uh, iron game, okay. and uh, choke game was through the roof. I was always I was always top twenty in choke game, up and down, up and down. That was my game. 
Trust me, I've, I've been working with a lot of tour players for the last few years. And after a tiny change, when you got comfortable in that bunker in Detroit, I've never seen a player hit bunker <laughs> shots like you were doing. I mean, yeah, well, that, that, was, that was like, trust me, that's better than a lot of PGA guys I'm looking at. <laughs> Yo, I know. <laughs> I know. It's always been fun for me trying to figure out certain things. I mean, I had a lot of help. When I played yeah. the European Tour, I had, I, I had the, the grand master of all short game guys to play a lot of golf with. And I did. And I, need, and I poked his brain around how to do it. Obviously, mm -hmm. it was Seviano. Right. So, so what, did, what, of, what did you learn the most from him? And it doesn't have to be a technique thing, but what did you pick up the most from him being around well, him? Well, I watched, I watched how he changed his clubs. He changed his shot according to the, the shape of the shot that he wanted to hit. If it was a long one, he'd pull out a 9-9 or a wedge. All those things I learned. The ball position was a big thing and how to play those golf shots. Um, the angle of attack was another one. Uh, he was phenomenal. Oh, my word. I mean, he even looked at me and went through me, went through my technique and told me, funny enough, of all things that he was telling me back then, I needed to rotate more with my upper body. Shocker. And, uh, <laughs> that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it does sound familiar, yeah. And, uh, you know, I started figuring out from there. And I went from there and I just started working on it and I did it myself from there. But, uh, you know, it, it's, I guess a lot of it is the fact that using your imagination, a lot of guys don't, you tend to have that imagination more when playing the linksy kind of golf. Right. Compared to playing the American kind of golf. Where it's, is it because you're forced to? Yeah, you kind of are forced to, or you realize that, geez, I have 15 different shots I can play here. Why well, am I playing the one? You know, right. so the sand wedge and the lob wedge never came out my bag. It was always the seven nine to my wedge that came out the bag when chipping, especially so even the bunker play. It was unbelievable. I have two follow-up questions to that. First of all, was yeah. Sevi that much better short game than anyone else you've seen? Yeah. Yeah. Tiger, Tiger in his prime was, he had some good shots, but he missed a lot of, he missed a lot also. I think because well, he kind of like risk. Phil, I feel like too, right? Exactly with Phil. Um, when you consider that he's got a big, long run-up shot, but looks like a long putt. He's pulling out his lob wedge and flopping it all the way to the hole. <laughs> That's too risky to me. I was always, so, he's always been like that. So would you classify Phil as the guy who has the shots, but he takes on more risk than he should? Oh, big time. Without a doubt. Yes. Okay. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, everyone has told me pretty much the same thing as well. And you see it pretty much. Week yeah, week you out. see it. Yeah. He's, he's, his middle name is a gambler. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's that's really funny. So, um, when did you? What was your first year getting back into the PGA Tour? Getting back into the um, US. Ninety-seven. I played U.S. Open at Congressional, the one in Els one, mm -hmm. and my ball striking had gotten better. And then I realized, putting on a U.S. Open golf course and U.S. Open speeds, I had no clue. I was top five in fairways and greens hit. Dead last in putting. So was the speed of the greens just something oh. way slower out in Europe? Yeah, completely. It was always a bit wetter, damp, damp. Um, we played in higher winds, obviously, so you couldn't get the greens up to the speed that the U.S. have. And to and, be honest, uh, I'm sure that somewhat played in your benefit of hitting those low draws you you love to hit. Oh yeah, big time. That was <laughs> that was that was a shot. I mean, Uzi hit it. Sandy Lyle hit it. Even Fowler back in his earlier days hit it the same way. And then he started playing more in the states. Realized I needed to hit a ball higher, and that's why he went to lead to help him hit it higher and softer. Right. I mean, um, the guy when they played the European Tour, they played ten. Ten events was the max. I think you needed about twelve events you needed to play. Mm -hmm. It actually might have been twelve, and they played the rest of the year on the, in the states. So they're playing almost. 15 over there, which is the number. So they're playing 30 events total and 12 of them were in Europe. So they did, and they played when the conditions were ideal, similar to what they were in the States. The I feel like the, a, a lot of players still do that now too. Oh yeah, a lot of the European players still do that, without a doubt, yes. They travel the world and play. I, I guess that's a, a where you want to live, where you want to play. I mean, the European tour for years, they've always... Um, never actually admitted the fact that these guys got paid, but the, the tour never paid them. It was the sponsors paying them. So anybody that had a name like a Faldo and a Uzi, Sandy, they all got paid before they teed it up. And that's why the purses were so small because the majority of the money was going to pay for these guys to tee it up. So we I were mean, playing for less all the time. Right. So unless you were a big name, it was a completely yeah. different ballgame. Yeah, correct. Oh, one of the boys, as we call them over there. That's one of the boys. <laughs>
And the sad part is, I feel like it hasn't changed that much. I mean, from what I've been hearing, uh, from people, no, it has not. Pretty much the same shit. Top top five players are making like ninety nine percent of the value of the purse and the tournament and whatever. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. And when the when the American guys go over there, it's the same thing. All their expenses paid. They're flying in private. All expenses paid. And then again, half a million. And the bigger names are getting close to a million to $2 million to tear down. It's crazy. a lot of money. Crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. That's nuts. Can you um, – I read up a little bit on, on the Stephen Ames Cup. I would love to hear how that came to be and why you decided to start it. Um, I started a foundation – Mm -hmm. in Calgary, uh, my way of giving back, how I can help the juniors in Canada. And uh, we were kind of like, how are we going to do this? And uh, my ex-manager and manager and one of my, one of my good friends, actually, was, came up with the idea and said, why don't you host a tournament? And I was like, what do you mean host a tournament? Yeah, you get like eight kids from throughout Canada and you get like eight or ten kids from Trinidad. And you have a tournament that you host every year. And I was like, oh. And we did it. And we decided, yeah, we do that. And then we hosted as a Ryder Cup. And then the other one that I, I wanted to, to hit was the fact that we, we got to do all age groups. Like 14 to 15 or 14 to 16, 17 to 18, and 18 to 20. So uh, boys and girls. So we, we host, I hosted... 20 kids every year. I think it was for 10 years we ran the event. And wow. one year it was in Canada, and the opposite year it was in Trinidad, just to introduce the culture to the kids and uh, to show them what the conditions that the kids in Trinidad had to play under and all these, all those things. And of course, the, the culture being, the, of course, the food, which I'm a big fan of, and then the steel pans that, was going, that we played as well. Um, the, the lifestyle of living on an island and your, your, day, your, your day out on, on an island is you jump in your boat and you go down to another place that has a, a house where you've got your backyard as the ocean and you're having fun and enjoying, enjoying life, basically. You know? So it was, yeah. it was a vacation, but it was a tournament within the vacation. Was, so, it always yeah. was it always surprising to the Trinidad people like how different the golf courses were? Oh, yeah, they struggled every time, just like myself. When, we, when they first came to Canada, they're like, I can't believe how fast these greens are. You know, and uh, uh, it was also the fact that I enjoyed the fact of teaching also. And I went there at every event I was there. And I was helping them, giving them tips on how to go about doing this. Hold the club lighter, let the head, feel the head more. And they were able to putt a little bit better. Hit different chip shots, all those things. So, you know, it was a fun week for me, too, because I got to really bond with them very well to the extent where I'm very, I'm still actually close with a lot of the kids where we text and we do um, emails and Instagram texting to, each, to one another. So it's been a lot of fun for me over the years. It's uh, watching them grow, watching them prosper. And uh, obviously a couple of them have gone through and tried to get into the tour. The mm -hmm. last guy that I have, I showed you his picture actually, was uh, Patrick Murphy. You showed me his swing out in Virginia. I showed you his swing. Yeah, it's gotten better and better. And, uh, you know, he went to Q school like me into Europe and missed the second stage. And I looked at him and I says, what was the first thing that you missed that? He says, I couldn't hit a fairway. I says, why is that? Cause I didn't have a shot that I can go to. And I went, well, that, that part you need to, you need to work yourself out because your technique's right. fine. You need to be able to stand on the range and hit all the golf shots. So he's come back with me saying, yeah, okay, now I've got my little, low fade bullet that I like to hit all the time. I says, perfect. Now he was a hooker, massive hooker of the golf ball. And we've got him, his teacher's got him, Dana Lindquist, I think, from California, trying to get him to change his swing path, and he's gotten better and better with it. So when you were playing in your prime, were you a very mechanical guy with your technique? I became mechanical, and that was the wrong way to, for me to play. Um, was that through too much teaching and instruction and info and all that? Well, I think it was the fact because I, I grew up and I did it by myself. So I was, I was thirsty for the knowledge. Right. You know, I'm still very thirsty for the knowledge, trying to figure it out. And Trust me, I, I, know, I know through our texting conversations, you love to know things, which is good. Yeah, I do. I, it is good. But at the same time, I have to stand up there and I have to be able to hit shots. Hence the reason why I, I do what I do with the show game, playing mm -hmm. some very different variety of shots. And I do it on the range too now where I need to hit the low, low draw or hit the high fade, which is never in my book. Now it is. 
all the low fade. So I'm always trying to be able to do those. And so when I know if I can get on the golf course, if I need to hit that shot, I have it. Right. So I have to pra- you have to practice what you're going to be able to play on the golf course with. And if you don't have that golf shot, it's something that you should never take on, obviously. So but, I, uh, I, I actually written a question down about that. Does your, um, first of all, what is your week like Monday to Wednesday? Are you just trying to find a comfortable feel that you can relate to for the shots that you're going to need on the course? Um, or is well, it just was, about kind of storing energy and finding the right technique? Like, what are you putting more emphasis on? Um, I think that's funny because it's changed over the last year and a half. <laughs> I guess through us, right working to, us working on your swing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, before it would be, it would be like, uh, there are certain holes where well, you were there at Muin Buick. Mm-hmm. Like the first hole, the par five. Yeah. There were two bunkers down the left and there was one down the right that wasn't in play, but it was, a do- it was straight up par five. And that hole, for some reason over the years, I could not hit the fairway. And it was out of bounds, just over the bunkers. I was going to say, it's, it's, that's, that's yeah. the dog leg right that you're talking about, right? Correct, yeah. And that's the one I never had. Yeah. So it was like, no, I need to start this, start the bunkers fading back into the fairway. And I never had that shot. I used to stand up on that first tee and go, how am I going to hit this shot? Worried before I even got to the tee. You know? And that's yeah. how I used to play. That was hard. Right. I mean, you're mentally worrying about stuff that you know you're going to struggle to pull off to begin with. Exactly. Now I stand up in the tee, it's like, well, geez, um, which part of the fairway am I going to hit this into? Left (laughs) side or the right side? It's a completely different game. Now I don't worry about my miss because I I know which way my miss is going to be if I'm going to miss it. I remember you you texted me after the first round of us working together and you're like, dude, I hit that first hole par five and it was so easy. (laughs) Well, yeah, like I said, it's always been a worry for me. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? All those things, all those memories that I had when when we played the Buick Open back there in that golf course and we go back there and we play in the Champions Tour, it's the same thing. It's like, oh my God, all those memories came back and I'm like, oh, geez. This is uh, Warwick Hills in Detroit, right? Correct, yes, it was Warwick Hills, yeah. Right. Does your, um, does your strategy change going into a three-round event now on the Champions Tour, or is it pretty much the same thing like the four-rounders that you used to play outside of the um, majors now, let's say? It's, it's different. Yeah, it's different. Now it's almost like I'm going at every flag. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. is it more of a shootout now where you have to get off to a hard, hot start, like you can't kind of just get a rhythm? I think, it, I think it should always be a shootout, to be honest. Right. Depending on, depending on the nature of the golf course. If it's wet... Yes, it has to be a shootout. If it's firm and fast, which it's rarely, it's a golf course where patience will be more involved rather than going at the flags. Mm-hmm. And you can pick and choose your shots accordingly, which is basically in some respects how, you, how we used to play the PGA Tour because Friday, Thursday, Friday, it was, it was firmish, not really firm, still wet. You can still stop your golf ball. By the time Saturday, Sunday came, it, Sunday especially, it was so burnt out. You couldn't stop a wedge on the green. It was so firm. So this the is, whole, yeah. this is PGA Tour, you know. Right. And that's how, that's how it progressively got firmer and harder. Saturday, Sundays were really firm and hard. In the case of the Champions, though, we don't, we, don't, we don't allow our golf courses to get to that stage. Maybe the majors, but not, maybe a U.S. Open. But I don't think the other majors do either. So in that, I think that kind of thinking when you're standing up on the tee and you're playing, it's like, no, you need to go for everything take things on that you normally wouldn't take on, which, funny enough, was not in my forte either. I was a very conservative kind of player. Conservative only because I didn't have all the golf shots. You didn't feel comfortable firing at the flags back then? Correct. Yeah, I didn't feel comfortable with it at all. And, and the short game was good, but it wasn't great. I think now the short game is even better than when I was on the PGA Tour, funny enough. I have more, I have more shots in my bag now. Isn't it so funny how over the years you've gotten better, but now you're no longer competing against those guys? Yeah, I know. Well, I am competing. We're just all over right. with Gray. Yeah, you're just all on the same <laughs> tour now on the Champions. Exactly. Uh, well, outside of the majors, which was the hardest course you guys used to play every year on the PJ? Um, funny enough, it's actually Mississippi, the one that just we just missed. Um, uh, Fallen Oak, great golf course. Right. Yeah, I would think that, I mean, the conditions were never great, but the uh, fairway-wise, but they're a little thin because of the time of the year. Mm-hmm. But the, the golf course, the layout, wow. Well, it's a beauty. A really, really good layout of a golf course. Off the back tees, it can host the PJ Toy event tomorrow. That's how good of a golf course it is. 
and we don't even play the back. Yeah, yeah, we only play at seven thousand. I think it's they stretch. You can stretch. They can stretch that golf course out to almost seventy eight hundred. It's a big golf course. Wow, that's a big park. That's a big park. Yes, it is, and a good park. It's very fair. Very, very fair. The bunkers are left, bunker right. You have to shape your shots. The wind blows 20, 25 miles an hour. So, I mean, other than that, the other major golf courses that we play, uh, the other ones would be the the majors itself. The US Open this year is supposed to be at Newport Country Club in Rhode Island. That's supposed to be unbelievable. And uh, this year, the British is at Sunningdale, which is a bit quirky. But um, we have in the past played some really good golf courses. Royal Lintham and St. Ed's last year. The year before that, we played St. Andrews, where I finished third. Um, so, you know, I mean, other than that, we played some, we played very, as David Thomas has said for so many years, we don't play great golf courses. We just play very well conditioned golf courses. <laughs> right. So you wouldn't classify them as the best in the world, just they're the best well kept? Correct. Pretty much. Um, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I would imagine every time I see people's like top 10 lists of golf courses, almost none of them are have events on them ever. Correct. Yeah. Without a doubt. You'll see that. Yeah. So what do you, uh, what do you define then as like, what, what would be considered an unfair golf course? Can you provide any examples of something that you just wouldn't like to see on a course that kind of takes the fairness out of the game? Um, I think I'm, I think, uh, each golf course has got something unique about it. Mm-hmm. I think on the whole, I think it's the modern golf courses today that was funny because you brought that question up so they did a they did a test and it was a time test pro-am compared to tournament wise Mm -hmm. so here you're playing in a pro-am in um tpc not tpc it's pga west where they played the bob hope where david shot 59 on and they played the pro-am at that event it took them over five hours, 15, 5.30 to play. Wow. And they're comparing it to an old-style golf course, Riviera, which we all know hosts the LA Open every year. Mm-hmm. And they take four and a half to play in a pro-am. Yeah. This is playing with amateurs. This is playing amateur and the pro. And now when the tournament played, we played the PGA West golf course. We took... Uh, five hours to play wait is this no it took it took us less time to play at the pga west and it took more time to play at the la open because of how more difficult the golf course was but yet this golf course has been there for 50 years the modern golf courses don't excite us and we don't like playing them. it's just too much water it's too much sand so i keep it simple augusta simple very simple riviera is very simple they don't make golf courses like that again. You have to have waterfalls in their bunkers that have got eight foot lips on it, which right. the amateur player can't get out of. So it makes golf longer. It makes it difficult for them. And of course, that's, I guess, partially the reason why so many guys don't play the game. Or how come golf, why golf is so flat too? Golf courses yeah. aren't fair enough, you know? And it's yeah. not for us. It's supposed to be built for the 15 handicap player, not for us. That's what I heard about Augusta is that outside of the greens, like the course is very much right in front of you. It's just super oh. hilly. Yeah, it's, it is hilly. It's built on a nice piece of land there. Yeah. You can see every hole from the clubhouse, which is kind of cool. <laughs> wow. That is, actually, I didn't know that. Is that actually yeah, true? you can. Yeah. Well, the clubhouse is actually on the top of the hill and everything goes down to Ray's Creek where the 12 and the 13 holes are. Those are the and lowest points? The, those are the lowest points in the whole golf course. Yes. Shit, I actually didn't know that's a little fun fact there. Nice. That, yeah. So um, you grew up in Calgary, or I guess yeah. you, you spent a lot of time. How long did you spend in Calgary, first of all? Uh, 25 years. That's a long time. 23, you, 25. Yeah, a long time, half my life, yeah. So why, first of all, I guess you made the move to Turks because of the warm weather. Is that well, fair to say? Yeah, I, I got to the stage after, after living in Canada for uh, more than half my life. Mm-hmm. I decided after my, this funny, I just happened to be coincidental. I didn't realize it till it happened that um, I bought the house down here in Turks. Um, June the 1st, two years ago. And my youngest son had just turned 
19, which made him a adult in Canada. So I didn't have to in Western, ask, in Western, in the Canada. Western, in Western right. Canada. And uh, yeah, in Western Canada, correct. And I didn't have to be, he didn't have to be on my, what they call the uh, supportive list tax wise. Right. So it just turned out that I didn't, I didn't plan it that way. It just turned out that way that when I bought the house, you turned 19. I was like, Oh my God, I just realized this. And uh, just kind of funny how it turned out that way. So, I'd, I'd just gotten tired of the cold and I still get tired of the cold. Even, even the events that I play in the cold, I'm dying. And, uh, <laughs> Who you say the heat now? You're, you're one of those I southerners am, now. Big time. I love the heat. I grew up in the heat. My whole life I grew up in the heat. Right. Uh, my wife Kelly is the same way. She's like, she can't believe how cold it is every time she goes back to Vancouver. And that's in the summer. So it, it's, hard, it's harder on us when we go back home now. But we, you know, we enjoy it down here. We're very, we're very isolated where we have the house. We have two neighbors, no one's around. So my backyard is the ocean. So I'm, I have no complaints about that. So it's easy for me when I come home from a tour event to really put my feet up and relax, which is nice. When I was back in Canada, I felt like I had to jump in my car to go and get something or to do something, which I don't enjoy doing a lot of. Right. So it, it's, it's worked out this way for me. I'm, I'm living a very comfortable, relaxed life, which it's, uh, it's a life choice. And that was my choice. You uh, mentioned your wife. So we have to give a little shout out to Kelly. <laughs> my number one supporter. <laughs> your, your number one supporter. First of all, it was so funny when you showed me the video. I think we were in Detroit at that time. You showed me the video of her cheering you on from the Morocco event of, of the year prior. Was that, yes, was that exactly, the Morocco yeah. event that she was yelling yeah. super loud? Yeah, she was, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Is it, yeah. uh, I guess for you guys as professional athletes, how important is it to have like support of people emotionally around you when you're competing day in, day out? Because it must be stressful on the course all the time mentally. Yeah, it, it, like I said, again, it all depends on if you're going to let it bother you or not. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you, take, you take all that information, all that bad shots into you and it eats you on the inside. Without a doubt, it, it hurts. So it's, it's a mental approach to the game where, you can't let the one bad shot hurt you because you have the next one to hit and you still got 16 holes to play. So it's, right. it's a mental approach where you have to be able to give up the bad shot, get into the next one and work from there. And uh, Kelly being out there, she's, she's a lover of the game also. She's a solid 10 handicap now. I've seen her. So it's, pretty good. it's pretty good. The swing's not bad at all. Yes. It's gotten better and better the years that she's been with me, <laughs> which is nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she's there to support me and she likes the fact, loves the fact, should I say, of how well that I've been doing. And she wants me to do well. And she wants, she wants me to play well every time that I go out and I play. And she's always been there for me. And uh, that, that's, a big, that's a big thing now. I mean, this is, as I say, this is the back nine of my life and career. So I've, I've found a wonderful partner in the fact that uh, she's there with me all the time and she supports me that way very much. It's great, dude. I love it. Um, yeah. Must be nice for sure to have that all the time around you because she is definitely very heavily involved, but like with interest, not out of force, which is which right. is fine. It is interest. For sure, it is interest. We do spend 23 and a half hours together a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of time together. Yeah, but that's um, not a problem if you guys are into each other, right? So No, we're not. Absolutely not. Like this two weeks down lockdown it's like no this is easy we do it all the time so this is not a problem for us you know so so we enjoy each other's company which is very we're very respectful to one another and i think that's important to all human beings and everybody and their partners you have to be very respectful for their space and their time and who they are as a person so let's talk about one more relationship your your boy gregory (laughs) my my south african (laughs) your south african gregory Yes. One of the coolest guys I've met on the golf course. Um, how did you guys, uh, how did that relationship start with you? You're, so for those who are listening, Gregory is his caddy. Yeah, it's Greg McMillan. He lives in St. Augustine, Florida. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he's, had, he's had a rough patch in his life too as well. We both actually were at the same time we're going through divorces at roughly exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. And we met in 2014. Am I saying this right? 2014? It might be even earlier than that. I think we're almost together eight years. So it's got to be 12. Yeah, 12. It's it was 12. Long 2012. Long time. We've been together eight years. This is our ninth year now. And wow. uh, it was in Las Vegas. 
I got there thinking that my other caddy, still on the PGA Tour, thinking that my other caddy was going to meet me there. And he sent me a text saying, I've gone to another player. And I was like, oh, thanks for saying that. So I got there Monday, hoping that he would be there. We can do some work. And he wasn't. And um, a friend of mine who used to work for Nike came up to me and asked me, he said, hey, you're looking for a caddy. And he says, yeah, yeah. He says, well, I have this guy that I've known for years, Gregory. And uh, he's looking for a bag. And I went, sure, we'll send him, on, send him to me on the range. I'd like to meet him. And then we go from there. And uh, he got on the range and we met. And I looked, we, started, we started right off the bat. We started hitting it off because he's, he's a golfer, played the game, caddied for years, and some great players too. Um, caddied for Gary Player, Larry Nelson. Um, got on the line. He's good friends with the player family. He's good friends with Retief. Goosen, Ernie Els, obviously mm -hmm. South African boys. Right. And uh, knows a lot about the golf swing. Hits a good golf ball too when, he, when, he's, when he's on there. And uh, so we just kind of hit it off. And uh, I said, well, come and carry for me in the Pro-Am and we'll go from there. I, Jesus, I, just thinking about it now, how bad I was hitting it back then <laughs> to how I am now. I'm like, holy, this is embarrassing. And he was like, holy, you don't hit it that far. I said, no, nope, I don't hit it far, but I hit it kind of straight. And then he looked at me and he says, let's see what your short game's like. And then he looked at me and he went, okay, there's a different, uh, there's a different person here. Yeah. That was the first thing he said to me. He says, dude, you've got a short game and a half. I went, yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> he, he's seen some short game shots that I've hit. He's looked at me and going, I don't think I can give this to anybody else in 10 bowls. They wouldn't get it that close. So it's like, yeah, well, I've got, I've got that part working for me. So he's always been, he's another one. He's a vested interest. We get along so well that he's very concerned when things aren't working well. And he sits yeah. there and we, we have a social chat about everything, things that we need to work on, all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, he's been there in the long run with me through thick and thin, eight years now. And he's a good guy, has a good heart, and he means very well, which is very important. Shows up on time. He's always yeah. neatly put together. Never drunk, which is a good thing. <laughs> and yeah, it is because you get caddies that show up there and you can smell the alcohol in them. And that's not a good thing. You don't want that around you. Shit. Yeah. So he's been, he's been really good that way. And uh, I'll be thankful for that. And in the past, when he was going through rough patches, I helped him out. And we're all there to help each other out. And we've been that way very much inclined for the last eight years. Yeah, even when I was in the in the practice rounds, we walked together uh, every single time. Greg would ask me a lot of questions about the golf swing stuff, just to keep an eye yeah. and make sure that like he can at least be like a secondhand look at whatever we were working on. You well, know? he is my second. He's my second set of eyes for everything. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So first of all, now that you mentioned Caddy's getting drunk, how um, how much more <laughs> drinking are you doing between rounds now compared to on the PGA Tour? Well, I don't think I ever drank on the PGA Tour. Now that I think about it, I had to go back. I do it on my. I used to do it on my off weeks. Mm -hmm. Now we're out here. We we're on the on the Champions Tour. Yeah, we'll have. I'll have a beer after the round because it's a social thing to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then uh, nice, nice go, glass of red wine. And then we go for dinner. Actually, uh, the red wine's hitting both of us, both Kelly and I, pretty hard uh, because <laughs> really? of all the yeah, it is. So we tend to stick to the white a little bit. Occasionally, we might have a glass of red. Not a very heavy red, more of a light red, the Pinot Noirs. And, um, you know, we'll have a glass or two, and that will be it. We won't overdo it too much at all. That's good. Very, yeah, very yeah. professional way of going about it. Very professional, yes, it is. <laughs> all right, dude, let's talk about uh, the biggest win of your career, 06. Yeah, players. Players. That was, yeah. I mean, as a Canadian, obviously, that's huge. Way before we ever met, obviously, we all knew about it, and it was – right massive for people in Canada. I mean, I'm sure you're well aware of it, but how important it was for every Canadian growing up to watch that pretty much as big, if not bigger than, than Mike at the masters. I mean, it was the same thing. Huge experience. Uh, your I didn't know that your brother was on the bag that week. My brother is. The yeah. One. I wasn't even yeah. aware of that. Yeah. Um, how, what was that week like? First of all, winning that event. It was, uh, it was different. I, Cause I remember, I remember when we played, Honda, again, I'm going back prior to the event. Mm -hmm. I think it was Honda where there was a week off in between which I took off. And I played Honda and I missed the cut and I stood up in the range 
over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, just beating golf balls. And you, funny were you enough, searching? I was searching, yeah. Guess what I was searching for? Trying to hit a fade. <laughs> <laughs> Story of your life. It was, you know. And, and the funny thing, uh, the thing that I worked on there was actually trying to clear quicker. <laughs> That's pretty to funny. be more rotated. <laughs> and uh, I, I got into a stage where I was somewhat comfortable, but not really comfortable. And the, the thing that I realized, I recognized that week particular was it was one, it was soft. It was in March. Like it, it normally is soft because one of the fact that it's early, you're overseeding. And when mm -hmm. you're overseeding, for those who don't realize, when you overseed a golf course, it gets, starts to get warm. You got to throw water on there or you're going to lose the seed, which is the rye seed. And uh, it was warm that week on the beginning of the week. And then it got cooler. But uh, it was also very wet. I remember that part. I think one of the days we played lift cleaner place. It might have been the Friday. And um, I remember just going about my, my routine where I was, at the time, I think I was working. I can't remember who I was working with now. Nobody. No, I wasn't working with anybody. I was really? doing this by myself. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was doing this by myself. Robert and I were doing a lot of it. We're doing a lot of checking the show, my alignment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then how much time I was spending over the golf ball, which meant I was thinking a lot. And my psychologist was there that week working with me on that part. So we worked in more pre-shot and over the ball. So I wasn't so... Stuff. It was more like... Correct. Rather than technique. Correct. Yes. So we worked in that the most. And we did it on the range. And then from the range, we carried it to the golf course. And the... The special highlight of that week was the Sunday. Because the first day I played mediocre at 70. Second day, I, I made a lot of putts, so 64, I think it was. Saturday, I played decent against so 69, I think. And then the Sunday was where I remember getting up. I'm in the lead. I remember getting up from a very good, good, from a very good sleep, had a great breakfast, had a little workout. Went back to my room. I'm off at 2 o'clock this time now. Yeah. Went back to my room and I'm like, wow, what am I going to do here now? So I just sat down in the corner and just kind of had a little moment to myself where I was meditating, relaxing. And I had that same feeling when I got it on, onto the range, uh, that same feeling playing the whole day. Like I was in a different world, different zone. So much so that I do not remember one shot that Vijay Singh hit who was, I was playing with at that time. Not one. Wow. So you were I super involved in your own world. Correct. Completely in my own world. And I remember turning the first nine, and I shot 32. First nine holes. And I got up on the 10th, and I hit a perfect three-way down the middle. And I got up there in the middle of the fairway. And TPC has a lot of gullies and hills and slides in the, in the fairway. <clears throat> And like I said, it was wet that week and I hit it right in the middle of one of those gullies where the water trained into. And the ball was just packed with mud in it. And I'm like, here we go. And I was like, geez, I can't believe this. Anyhow, I had a perfect little six iron. Of course, the mud kind of knocked the ball out. Knocked the ball out, didn't have its proper trajectory and it killed it and landed short in the bunker and I made double. And I can remember that feeling. I set up on the 11th hole, I was pissed. Because I had a nice lead, and I was like, "No, this is bullshit." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." I stood up there and I drove Vijay by twenty yards. I don't know where that came from. He looked at me. He went, uh, "What was that?" <laughs> His caddy was like, "Holy, I didn't know you had that in you." I says, "Yeah, I don't let it out very often." I hit fine into the eleventh hole at TPC, which is a big hole. So that was a lot of adrenaline that pissed you off. From Massive adrenaline. I was so pissed that I almost made the eagle. I remember that. And then I birdied 12, 13, pod 14, birdied 15, and eagle 16. I just went on a tear after that because I got so pissed at what happened on the 10th. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was, it was a fun day, but it was fun and it was easy. And I, only because, like you said, I wasn't, I wasn't into my technique. I was into shaping my shot, seeing a shot, getting up and hitting it and being very calm about it. But I, I can remember my miss that whole week was always left. And I fought it the whole week. 
And I went, Sunday was the only day that I can remember where I was not fighting the hook, but I was still hitting it. So I just accepted it, but I didn't like the hook at all or the draw. For some people, it's a draw. For, for me, it's a hook. <laughs> but uh, no, that, that, was a, that was a fun week there. Yeah. And even, even the fact, more special, the fact that my brother was in the bag with me. Was He'd that, been on the back. Has he caddied for you often? He actually, he had worked for me for two years. Uh, funny, funny enough, the two good year, the two best years I had on tour. 2004. <laughs> and 2006. Start, yeah, 2004 to 2006, we started, we were working together. Um, 2004 was a great year. I had 11 top 10s in a row with okay. a win. Yeah. Um, is, I think is, I had that is a level of golf that very few people achieve at some point. Yeah, I know, especially in 2004 when VJ and Tiger were at their prime. VJ was the number one player at the time in the world. There, he won ten times. Yeah. So that tells you a lot there, and I was like, holy. Um, 2005 was a bit of a a wash away there because my ex-wife had lung cancer, so we went through a lot mentally there. So no kind of. Five was a bit of a mental, oh boy, where am I? I had to look after the boys, took the boys on tour with me. So it was tough to be dad, golfer, and uh, supporter at the same time. So that was tough mentally. And then 2006, I came back out and we started, everything started working, getting a little bit favorable again in life. And uh, this kind of hit me and I got 2006, I started off and I played well there at the players. Like I said, it was a good year there too. No kidding. Um, yeah. you've been fighting the draw your whole life. You said it or hooks. Um, I want to, I want to talk about us. First of all, how did you, did you run? So you randomly found me right on the internet on social media. Oh, yeah. No, oh, internet, social media, Instagram through Instagram. And, um, I guess what was the reason you started? Were you actively searching for a coach or you just kind of liked what I was talking about? And that's how our relationship started. Well, I think, I think it's more the fact that how we'll put it, how Kelly puts it. Oh, Steve, what are you doing? Watching more porn? And it was Instagram porn. <laughs> the Instagram porn is actually, I'm looking at golf swings on the golf, on the Instagram. That's what I was doing. Yeah. So there are a couple of teachers that were up there and your, your, uh, your guys kept, you get popping up with your teeth, with your kids that were going through. And I kept noticing the same things every single time. They were perfect at the top of the swing. They all rotated left going through and they all finished. The club was always below the, sh the shoulder plane the on the way through. And I'm going yeah. every single one, even though they went back differently. Mm -hmm. Some were less forearm rotation. Some were higher right hand. The arms went in deep, but the club was way out. But you got to the top of the swing, on the back swing. It was the same position. I'm going, how's he doing this? Every single one of your kids had the same thing. And all of them still do, obviously. And then they all came through the same position at impact. Shaft was low at impact. Forearm was going left. Club head was going left. No face rotation. I'm like, holy shit. And that's where I looked at it and I went, this guy obviously knows what he's doing. Because I looked at other teachers and they all, all the kids had different positions at the top. They kind of did the same things at the bottom, but there was no consistency in the positions yeah. and how they did about doing it. And you, you do a good job. that, And that's what I looked at. And I went, you did a hell of a job that way. Even though the backswing was different the first three feet, when you got to the top of the swing, it was the right position. On the way down, they all looked the same. Body rotating left, level, club head, shaft, everything below the shoulders. And I was like, uh, no, this guy obviously knows what he's doing. And that's why I went. Kelly was like, why don't you just send him a note? And I went, yeah, I think I will. And I sent you that note and off we went. And, and now, how, long, how long did it take I, from the driving range that first day to get you? Yeah, what was it, two hours? Yeah. It was about two hours. Yeah, literally. And, and that was the funniest thing of, of all things, was the first thing you did was change my grip. Yeah, too strong. That was, yeah, it was too strong. I didn't realize it was that strong. But then, if you know my background history, you'll know why it was strong. But that's what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. That's what I saw everybody else doing in Trinidad with a strong left-hand grip. And I just kind of copied it. My first three lessons that I ever had, he gave me that strong grip and I played golf with that. It was always a kind of a hang on through the ball miss, you know. Hold on for dear life to prevent it going. Hold on for dear life, yeah. And uh, don't go left kind of thing. 
So, and the more I swung into out, the less I hooked it. So I was like, oh no, that doesn't seem right. But it was closer to the heel. So I always occasionally hit the occasional shank, you know, in a round. Yeah. And that too, was not Too fun. far from the inside and not turning oh, it yeah. up. Way too far from the inside. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's been fun now. Every time I look at my string on video, I go, oh my God, look at that position at the top. <laughs> I'm not excited, so, for, not, my, not so I'm across excited for myself. <laughs> Yeah, you're not as across the line as you used to be. No, not across. The face is square. Uh, coming down, it's as square as it's ever been. I'm like, okay, now I know why I'm, why I'm able to hit the shots I'm able to hit now. So that, that's, that's the fun part. Yeah. It's, it's a little easier mentally to play golf. It's not as stressful. It's, it's more freeing. It's more freeing. That's the right word. I think I will use. You know, it's, it's freedom. Fun. It's kind of funny you say that because I think the number one comment I get from people is that is that exact word, which is like the idea of like it's freeing to just swing without having to manipulate or manufacture something. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. No back pains, no shoulder pains, nothing. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. Would Not you good. would you so. attribute that to the more level shoulders and and chest coming through the ball? Obviously, yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing the Jason Day on the way through. That's for sure. <laughs> There's, trust me, I've, I've been vocal about that too. There are a lot of golfers yeah, oh, on I the know. PGA I've Tour watched, who... I've, I've watched it and listened to it. So it's been like, well, that makes sense. But I never would have thought that it would have been through the fact that the right leg stayed flexed that long. On the way back, yeah. Big, way big, back. big time problem. Yeah, I know. Which is kind of funny because here's a big guy and his world-class ball striker was won five majors and that's all they worked on with Fanny and David and that's Nick Fowler was uh, keeping the right leg flexed keeping the right leg flexed yeah kind of funny isn't it yeah very exactly. interesting yeah but then at the same time hit it nowhere was he a short hitter in his prime very short but control oh boy that's a different animal there right. I mean I have never seen a guy hit so many shots left and right and high he with was every able to control club. his ball both ways? Both ways. Yeah. I've watched him playing with him, PGA Wentworth, which was back then was the uh, European tour. Mm -hmm. He would hit his second shot. He's four or five under for the day. He hit his second shot left in 17. Finished birdieing 18, walk up to the range and absolutely rip David out, saying, I hit that one 17 left. And then they stand up there and hit six buckets. Wow. Trying to get rid of that one left. Oh, my. Well, he went on a one the event. But that's how furious he was about hitting one left. So he was really, really intense with the misses. Oh, massive. Massive miss with the, the misses. Yes, he was. It's unbelievable. Back, back he was in, very intense on the golf course. I was going to ask you, who used to spend the most time on the range back in the day? Yeah. Hey, VJ still back then. <laughs> Shocker. I feel like um, he still does now. He still does, yeah, for sure, without a doubt. And it's still the same prop, and it's the same miss he still got, which is kind of scary. Is it's the same old, same old swing that he has. You know, he he butts it. He, his legs drive to the ball, and his club face is flicking through his hands. His right hand is off the grip. It's like there's no connection through the ball whatsoever. So it's all timing. He has to hit a thousand golf balls. It's an easy fix, but he won't do it. But that's okay. That's his problem. <laughs> better, better for you trust me exactly uh, and it shows too because he's struggling he's been struggling for years still a good ball striker can't mm -hmm. putt but it's pretty sad anyhow but uh I, yeah Fowler was pretty intense too Bernard hit a lot of golf balls Jose a lot of golf balls Seve yeah Seve uh, Seve did a lot but he did a lot of the whole thing not just hitting golf balls right that's why yeah. he was, so, was that part of the reason why he was so good with a short game? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. He practiced I, it a lot. I think, I, think, I think he only practiced it a lot because he enjoyed doing it. Right. You know, he had more, I think he had more fun doing that than trying to hit the, the driver further or the driver straighter. He just liked pulling off trick shots in his mind. Kind correct. Of it's unbelievable. You ask him to do an exhibition, mm -hmm. and I've watched him do exhibitions where he's on the range and you literally – ask him to hit particular golf shots, left to right, high, draw, whatever you wanted. And with every club, even the wedge, high draw, low fade, he hit it all with all the clubs. That's crazy. And you get him on, you get him on the golf course, you couldn't do that. Really? 
Yeah, he struggled with that big time. His transference was a big issue from range to court. Oh, massive issue, especially after 86. It got worse. Well, he did lose that. Uh, he did lose the Masters to Jack there in sad yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it was. Happen. He did lose it to him, yeah. I'm but, sure that but, didn't help. No, it didn't. I'm what, it didn't help. I know this is the personal story, but he went on and he was like, after 86, he's like, he went searching. He didn't need to go searching. He hit one bad shot. Yeah. He went searching for a proper golf swing and started working on it. And, that's, and that was the end of him right there. Even though he won a couple more times after that. I mean, he yeah. won in 88, the, Brit the British in 88. But after that, he's went searching and he didn't need to. He just needed to be himself. That was unfortunate. For sure. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of having fun then, who, uh, who do you love being paired with now in the Champions? Who do you have the most fun with out there? Oh, there are a lot of guys out there that have a lot of fun. Um, Jerry Kelly is a lot of fun. He's intense when he's in the battle. But when he's, <laughs> yeah, well, most of us are. For sure. Um, yeah. And uh, he has a lot of fun. Um, geez. I, I like Bernard, but he's intense also. So I heckle the hell out of him. And he do takes you, do it you very like to well. chirp, Do you like to chirp people during the rounds? Um, I, I wouldn't say chirp. As in needle him, I would just go, oh, Bernard, that's not like you. And he would look at me <laughs> and just smile because he knows it's not, you know. Um, <laughs> and then I'll see him in the clubhouse after and he's having a cold one. I look at him and go, wow, uh, have you got a driver to take you home? Because uh, he's having one beer. I mean, those are the kind of things that I do with him. <laughs> but but he, he's, he is a great person, great character. Uh, Lee Jensen's a good friend. I mean, there are a lot of, like I said, there are a lot of great guys that are out there. We all get along very well. Um, I won't go into a, the bad. I won't go into the bad ones. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it's okay, but it's it's a different community now. I'm sure out on oh, the it champions. Is. Well, that, the guys, uh, a lot of the guys are very established with career wise and money wise. It's like no, this is just the, this is fun now, you know, and we're going right. to make the the most of it and if you still want to be competitive then you put your hours in and you still work at it and that's me i still like i still like doing it i'm still like being competitive and i want to play well every time i tee it up even if it's a practice round with my wife i want to go out there and i want to play well and hit the shots you know for sure and um, that's just the nature of who i am but at the same time after the round it's like okay game's done let's have a beer and i want to relax and enjoy life too so I think that's important that you have a balance. Very important that you have a balance, without a doubt. Life's Sweet. too short. No, I agree with you fully. I have one last question for you for today. Sure. Who, uh, who would, uh, I guess it's a two-way question. For, who would be in your dream foursome, but list me one of professionals and list me one of like personal people. Oh, say that again? Well, the foursome I can get. Yeah, so foursome, foursome of pros and then a foursome of like if it wasn't the professionals, let's say. Oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> uh, playing wise it would be well that's the easy one Hogan Byron Nelson <laughs> Sam Snead old school those guys I love it yeah um, personal wise mm -hmm. that's a good one I've never thought about that one <laughs> everyone everyone immediately goes to the pros that's why yeah I know I never yeah I mean we, we spent our whole life I suppose I'm not a Sean Foley who reads a thousand things a day, trying to figure out everybody and get their thing. There's certain things that interest me, um, that I enjoy reading and get, getting into, yeah. but I wouldn't say that there are people that 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 I'm so enthroned with that I have to meet the person and get to know them and what they're like. Um, For sure. I think For I sure. I think I do that enough, where. I have the opportunities of meeting, meeting kids and meeting people or watching people's reactions. How I'm, if I'm teaching some of the mm -hmm. kids down here or if I'm teaching an amateur, I like to see their reaction to how I go about explaining to them what they need to change. You know, I have that, I have that fun when I'm, when I'm always around my youngest son, Ryan, because he loves the golf. And we're always trying to better him for him to understand where he's at with his golf swing trying to figure it out himself and that's certain ways I watch how he reacts and how he's matured as a person uh, Patrick was the same Matt Williams is the same I mean, even with Kelly when I'm hanging out with her I look to see how she reacts to certain things and how she she handles it as a person 
So I guess, I guess my answer to that would be humans. It's a good answer. <laughs> how people react to certain situations, how they take it on, how they handle it, because you, you can learn from all these mistakes that others are doing. Uh, for sure. And, and so I guess that, that answer would be humans. Was, was Ryan the one that was with you in Calgary when you made the hole-in-one? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he carries for me there every year. Does he? Because it's yeah, a hometown event, I guess, for you guys? It's a hometown event. Uh, we get to hang out almost 23 hours of the day. <laughs> it, it's fun. You know, he, he enjoys the golf. He likes hanging out out there uh, on tour with me because a lot of the guys know who he is. They've known him for years because he's been coming out since 04. So, right. it, you know, so they've got to know him and they've watched him swing and hit the ball. And they're like, oh, when are you turning pro? You know? All those kind of things. And he enjoys the golf and he's in the golf industry too. So he works at a golf course during the summertime. Hopefully this year too. We'll see. Um, Assuming there's golf this summer. Correct. Exactly. That's why I said that. <laughs> yeah. Nice, um, dude. What was, yeah. Well, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a good answer. I like that because most people immediately resort to like, yeah, I would just want to be with my wife or my kids. But you just want to get people that you can learn from, which is really, really cool. Yeah, it's different. Different. I love it. Yeah. Well, Stephen, uh, thanks for coming on, bud. Yeah, no, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was, uh, that was really fun. And hopefully we can uh, meet up at an event sooner than later and get some more yeah, work in on the swing. And how's the swing feeling right now? Uh, I wish I could say I haven't swung a club in uh, a week now. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the appropriate the, vacation, which is good. It is appropriate vacation, yeah. Uh, all the, go the golf course down here is closed, so the whole island's on actually lockdown. Okay, so they're taking it really serious, which is a good thing. They're sign. taking it very serious. They have to because they don't have enough beds. They don't have the facilities for everybody. So it's 24-hour quarantine, curfew, should we say, and only out for necessities. So I'm fortunate. We're fortunate. We have a, good, we have a nice big backyard to so go swimming and snorkeling every day. So we're quite happy where we're at right now. Perfect. Yeah. Well, say hi to Kelly for me. Tell her that uh, she's been very gracious with her time with you and I. <laughs> yeah, she has been, hasn't she? <laughs> for sure. I'll let her know, for sure. All right, dude. I'll let you have a good one. All right, you too. You take care of yourself. Stay healthy. Thanks, Stephen. All right, talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. So we hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Stephen Ames. Be sure to leave us a review if you guys enjoy this podcast. The more people who leave reviews, the better for everyone. Uh, we'll get more great guests on the show. Uh, be sure to check us out all over social media, Max Giovanni Golf, Skiing Golf, and uh, have a great week.